We believe that true success in every domain of life and work begins with a vision and a plan. I'm Michael Counts. And I'm Sarah Ellis Conant, and we are the founders of A Plan Coaching. And you're listening to All You Need Is A Plan. A podcast that explores how we can get the most out of life and work in the midst of more and more complicated and challenging times. Each week, we'll bring you guests who represent success stories at companies and organizations of all shapes and sizes. As well as thought leaders at the forefront of business and the wellness economy. So the purpose of this podcast is to share and explore stories of personal and organizational achievement ranging from how a company can change its culture and transform into the next phase of its evolution and succeed in new ways, to how a filmmaker can have a vision for a new project and realize it despite all the complexities, challenges, and difficulties that stand in the way, to how two creative partners can build a business and become an award-winning architectural firm, and how a new mom can see a need and launch a small nonprofit that grows into one of the largest diaper banks in the US and many more. Knowing that achievement is really an inside job, we'll look at how habits are formed and obstacles overcome how organizational systems are put together, and how goals are set and explained, how successful teams are structured and managed, how people are supported to bring their best, and how challenges to team and group dynamics are mitigated so that the toxicity that can sometimes exist in a culture doesn't rule the day. So in this podcast, all you need is a plan. We're gonna explore how things get done, big and small, in companies and organizations of all shapes and sizes, and the role that coaching and other tools have in supporting the achievement of individual and organizational goals. With that in mind, let's get to it. Once again, I'm Michael Counts. And I'm Susanna Ludwig. And our guest today is Paula Castro, a coach, facilitator, and spiritual teacher in her own right. It's such a pleasure to be with you, Paula. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. I'm honored to be here with you guys. Paula, we're so happy to have you here today. I personally feel like the magic that you bring to your coaching has to do with the intersection of coaching and your spiritual practice. I'd love to hear more about that today. But just to start off, I'm wondering, what brought you to this intersection? How do you bring spirituality to your coaching? That's what I want to know. So back in 2011, I got certified as a coach. And in my training, we learned about team coaching, group coaching, executive coaching, life coaching. And when we got to that module of life coaching, I said, this is it. This is it for me. And so I got graduated. And the first things I did is that I would go to organizations and they would ask me for team building and they would ask me for executive coaching. And I said, yes. And first I want to do life coaching. If you let me, I want to talk to the individual because we can do a lot of teamwork, but if the members of the team are not feeling okay within, I don't feel that it's going to be as effective. So I started doing more of life coaching in organizations, in places where it's it's all about corporate values and corporate ways, very linear, very, uh, very squared. And beautiful, too. Very um, all about results and goals. And I really liked it. And every time I would bring something about our true nature with the we perhaps we're never born and we'll never die. Perhaps that there might be nothing wrong with us. We're just growing and expanding. If I would insert those little messages in my speech or in you know in my classes, people would be like, oh, my God, tell me more about that. I want to hear that. And so I started getting very motivated to keep talking about that. And and it took me a little bit to be 
very outspoken about those metaphysical beliefs and spiritual beliefs that I had because I was a little nervous that people were going to think like, oh, that sounds religious. I don't know about that. And slowly I started expanding on that. And I, I believe now the times have changed and people are even more open now than back in 2011. Yeah, there, there's a message that we often communicate to the companies that we work with, which is my belief that if you're not really concerned about wellness, you're not really concerned about performance. And I, I think in a way you could almost sort of extend that to spirituality. I mean, I know that that's been the case in my own life. The extent to which I'm concerned with my own spiritual growth and the kind of moving through what I hope to talk about with you a little bit, which is the four stages of spiritual consciousness. But mm -hmm. as I move through those and I sort of grow as a person, my performance gets more refined and my visions get more clear and my ability to collaborate gets more inclusive. And, and I just think that they're so inseparable and they're mm -hmm. so kind of causally related. Um, but I, I do agree that, that many times in a business context, it's like, well, that's a little touchy-feely. That's a little kind of West Coast woo-woo or something. Mm -hmm. I think less so now, but yeah. I mean, I've just sort of tracked with it over the last 20 years because I've had the same kind of, I don't want to say self-consciousness, but a little bit of hesitation about being very outspoken about those kind of things um, in what we're doing. And it's such a pleasure to kind of have that discussion with you. What you've brought to the coaching at A-Plan and to the culture of A-Plan is, is immense. And, and I'd like to get into that a little bit if we can. Yes. So the four stages of consciousness and spiritual development, I learned this originally from my teacher, Michael Bernat Beckwith. And I remember learning it and thinking just like you thought, Michael, what you're saying. This relates to everything. If we could just bring this to, you know, corporations and teach this to the leaders, you know, what we were talking before we got uh, live about conscious leadership. How do I lead from that space that is so in alignment with the truth of who I am that I inspire others just by being? Yes, we need the rules. Yes, we need the goals. And all of that is beautiful and perfect. And that when I speak it, that when I am leading people, that my very presence is so magnetic. And it reminds me of, of a story when Gandhi's wife was asked what made Gandhi such a powerful magnetic man that took the English army out of India in a peaceful, quote unquote, war. And she said, look, Gandhi was a, a normal man, just like you and I, but what made him very powerful is that what he thought, what he said, and what he did was all in congruency. So when we when we're living in that congruency, in that coherence, we get to be more magnetic, more of a leader. People want to follow us because they see something in you that they want in them, that they remember that they also have in themselves. So yeah, the, the teachings of the four stages of consciousness are, are incredible, and I would love to tell you more about it in a moment, but I don't know if you have more questions. Kala, that's so uh, beautiful and true in my experience. I agree with all that, and, and I think for the benefit of our listeners, I'd, I'd really like to kind of get deep into the four stages of spiritual consciousness and have you... I don't know, lay them out. I mean, you, you, you did a workshop with us at A-Plan 
and presented on them so beautifully. And, and I think some listeners may be familiar, some may not, but I'd love to just have you kind of present that in as much detail as you see fit to, to really communicate the ideas in a way that people can understand. Yes, it's, it's so much fun for me to explain this and I'll do my best to kind of do a, a later explanation of it. So we have four stages of consciousness. Now, when we're talking about consciousness, consciousness is infinite. But for the sake of explaining it, Reverend Michael so brilliantly came up with four main stages of consciousness. And these stages of consciousness are not linear. We can be vacillating between stages of consciousness. So I just want to say that first. Sometimes people say, well, Paola, sometimes I wake up feeling this way and then I end up my day feeling another way because during the day things happened and it took me out of my center or I wasn't feeling really good in the morning, but then by the end of the day, I remember how to get back to my heart. So they're not linear and they're infinite stages of consciousness. And so the first stage of consciousness is called the victim consciousness. And the victim consciousness it's also called the survival consciousness. So I like to call it the survival consciousness, which means we go into that stage of consciousness because it's our primal way of being. What I mean by primal is that aspect of ourselves that its priorities to survive. It's brain, it's represented by the reptilian brain. When you get scared, is that first reaction of like, oh my God, I need to either run or confront or some people even freeze. It's a reaction to deep fear. Like, I don't know what to do, so I just freeze. So that state of consciousness, Reverend Michael calls it victim consciousness. And when we're in victim consciousness, we have a victim story. And usually that victim story says, this is happening to me. Something is doing it to me. And so we find fault in people or in situations or is the government's fault. They have to fix it for me. They disappointed me. It has lots of expectations. And as my dear friend says, expectations are premeditated disappointments. And that, in, when we're in that state of consciousness, we're just expecting for the world outside of myself to give me what I need so that I can feel a certain way. And I just want to pause for a moment and, and before I continue to describe the victim consciousness, I just want to say that we go there because that's how we survive. We don't go there because we want to be mean to people, because we want to be bad you know, citizens. We go there because that's our more primal nature. And so I just want to go into this conversation with a lot of compassion for all of us. I know I go into victim consciousness. Now, the difference is that now I may stay for a couple of hours where 10 years ago, I might have stayed for a week there. I have uh, my inner resilience have taught me how to bring myself back to the center. So far, so good. Yeah, absolutely. All absolutely. right. Very clear. Good. So in victim consciousness, we have a victim story. There's someone to blame and someone to shame. And so we dwell a lot in the past. Or we might be very fearful of the future. That's where anxiety creeps in. And, and the brain says we need to predict what's going to happen. If we can, then we have to control and manipulate. And, 
And it's all this yucky, sometimes very bumpy road. There's a lot of energy spent in that state of consciousness. I've had clients saying, Paula, look, I have all of these dreams. I have so much within me, which all of us have so much within us to, to give to the world. We have gifts and talents and all of that. And they tell me, but I'm just exhausted. By the time is the weekend that I've dedicated or the evening of dedicated time to create my art or, or do my thing, I just don't want to do it. I just want to zone out, go into Netflix, numb it, and, and forget about it. And, and, you know, we keep sabotaging ourselves. We know we have this thing inside of us, but we don't have the energy. So victim consciousness is a great energy drainer. There's a lot of judgment in victim consciousness, and I believe judgment it's one of the biggest energy vampires that we have. So we're judging ourselves, we're judging the other, and we live in this separation, always defending, pushing away, creating a shield around our hearts. And, you know, we end up sick many times, depressed, with chronic anxiety. And so many times we, as coaches, we sit with clients that are in that state and with these teachings, what I've learned is to, to say, okay, first things first. What is, the, what is the story that you're telling yourself? And by the way, that's a great thing I learned from Brene Brown. She says, when you're in a story, just tell, say it out loud. The story that I'm telling myself is this and this. And it's a really great nonviolent way to communicate what we're feeling, what we're thinking, because we want to honor what's coming up. So I would say to my clients, let's just talk about the story. And in the story, are you ready to let go of the blame and the shame? And some people might be here, maybe saying, Paula, I don't blame anybody. What I have is a problem myself with myself, me, myself, and I. So we can be a victim of our own thinking. We can be a judge inside our head saying, you did this. You should be in a different space. You shouldn't be doing that. So that's when we're shooting all over ourselves. We can also, that's a possibility, be a victim of our own thinking. So in victim stories, in victim consciousness, we want to see first, am I willing? I might not know how, but am I willing to let go of the story? Am I willing to see it differently? And once we have that willingness, the next question is, who do I need to forgive? do I need to forgive? Do I need to forgive myself? Do I need to forgive them? And so when I ask this question to my clients, sometimes they're like, oh, don't even go there, Paola. Like, I'm not ready to forgive. Like, this was so painful. They should have known better. They need to apologize. And I always said, look, in the first phase of forgiveness, we don't forgive them because they deserve it. We forgive them because we deserve to let go of that burden. We deserve to be free. And so if forgiveness still is a stretch for that part of ourselves that is hurt, I always like to bring a step before that, and that's the, the quality of compassion. And compassion, I believe, is it's the door that opens, up, opens ourselves up for forgiveness. And compassion simply says, and these are the words of Michael Beckwith too, he says, compassion is the understanding of the lack of understanding. Now, the way to put it is, we understand that hurt people hurt people. Mm. And if I have hurt anybody, it's probably because I was hurting. And that's what came out of me. Because I was hurting inside, hurt comes out of me. 
if it's with other people, if they hurt me, perhaps they're hurting themselves. So compassion for me seems to be the doorway to forgiveness. And then once we arrive in forgiveness and we start doing that, okay, I'm going to forgive this because I don't want to navigate my life like having the brakes on. And that's what forgiveness does. It's like riding a bicycle with the brakes on. It's just it's so difficult. And that's what we see in a lot of organizations, a lot of people with a huge pain body, with a lot of resentment and anything triggers that and everybody reacts. And so we have this great plan, this great strategy, but it cannot be executed with ease and grace because everybody's getting triggered all the time. The pain body is being touched. And so we have that feeling of, I need to defend and I need to push away. So it is an inner work. We, we want to start forgiving so that we can let go of that burden. So that's stage one. I want to do a pause and just check in with you guys. So when clients come to you and they're in the stage one consciousness, what do you do to encourage them to have more self-compassion? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, first, as we know, as coaches, we ask lots of questions. And as a coach, very important for me, I need to see them in perfection already, in wholeness and oneness, which is stage four, which in a moment I, I, I will go there. As a coach, I'm not, I refuse to go into the story. In my mind, I don't have to tell them. And so I just hold the space and I ask questions. Questions that are just opening up the space for them to see possibilities. And I also bring them, as a coach, I bring the quality of curiosity. I just want to know more. Tell me more about that. And how does that make you feel? Tell me more about that person. So that we start putting the pieces together. And I may bring the victim state of consciousness as an explanation. And I find that when I hold that consciousness for them as their whole perfect and complete, and I refuse to get into their story, very magically, they arrive to that conclusion like, oh, there's just a lot of blame and a lot of shame here. Also, if talking about the other is too painful, I would ask about themselves. Have you forgiven yourself? Is there that, that judge in, inside your head serving you or limiting you? So along those lines, yes. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the second, the second phase of spiritual consciousness. Yeah, so stage two, so we start practicing forgiveness. And I just want to say something about forgiveness. Forgiveness for me is a journey. Sometimes people go, oh, I just did this huge process of forgiveness and I was okay for a few months and then bam, that person triggered me again and I was back. I don't think we ever go backwards. We just keep expanding from a different point of our unconsciousness. So... Forgiveness is it's a process, it's a journey. And, and sometimes we peel a layer and we, you know, later in a year, we might have to peel another layer until we uh, arrive into that radical forgiveness where you understand that everything, everything is happening for us and never against us. So we practice forgiveness every day as much as we can if, if there's something to forgive. And then we slowly start feeling that empowerment. There's nobody to blame and shame. I'm the creator of my own reality. 
you know, I may not understand why mom and dad were so chaotic when I was growing up, but at some point I'll get it. I'm just opening myself up to the possibilities that perhaps there is something here for me. So we start entertaining those ideas and then we feel more energetic. We feel that we have something to give. There is creativity bursting through us. And it's super fun to arrive to stage two because this is called the manifest consciousness. That's when we start using the law of manifestation, which means every action creates a reaction. It's when you say, you know what? I'm tired and to be sick and tired. I, I don't like how I feel in my body. I am going to take control of my health. Uh, you know, I know there's been trauma. I know there's been things that I've been shielding myself with this extra weight. And in this forgiveness process, I know that there's nothing to defend, that I can let go of this extra baggage that I have in me. Um, and so you, you make the appointment with your fitness coach and you start eating better and you start creating a plan for yourself an A plan for yourself. And you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this route and these are the steps I need to take. And you feel so good. And then you start seeing results. And not only you start seeing results of your own doing, but you start seeing grace. Meaning you do something, but then the universe or source or intelligence, however you want to call it, returns triple. And you go, wow, this is incredible. You start feeling really good. And then all of a sudden, little things start manifesting in your life. So you start gathering evidence that when you're in this space of manifest consciousness, things happen. You make it happen. So in stage one, we said, this is happening to me. In stage two, you say, oh, no, this is happening because of me, by me. I'm making it happen. And you feel in control, you feel empowered. It's beautiful. It's a great state of consciousness. It's, it's what we learn in coaching, like the basis of coaching is this. And, and it's, there's so many miracles that come through it. Now in life, as, as we all know, there are times where we do the right thing. We, we're taking care of our health, we're taking care of our families, we're trying to be responsible financially. We're doing, which by the way, stage two, it's a doing consciousness because you're making it happen. You're in that doing what, what needs to be done. And you do your part and you sit and you're still having that hard conversation with that person and you're not getting any, any resolution. You sit, you do your part and you're still struggling financially. You go, God, I work so hard. I do all the right things. What's going on? Why am I not seeing, uh, you know, the fruit of my labor? Or perhaps you see it, but you still you, you know that there's so much more that can be expressed through you. Or you arrive to your goals, you accomplish, you're right there at the top. You take a deep breath and you say, I still don't feel enough. This is still not enough. I've been, I've been hustling. I've been pushing. I've attained. I've achieved. What else? What's the next goal? And, and sometimes people arrive to the dark night of the soul there where it's like, I don't, 
I don't know, is this it? Really? And so we start asking like philosophical questions like, what is this all about? Who am I? And so we have a choice. We can go back to victim consciousness. So we find someone to blame and shame with the, the brain is great at doing that. The brain is so crafty. When we don't know, when we arrive to that space of, I don't know, then the brain says, well, let me tell you. It's so-and-so's fault, and it's because the economy, right? We do that. We, we find someone to blame because the brain loves certainty. That, that aspect of ourselves that wants to survive loves certainty. And when we have been the doers and we don't know, especially very intellectually smart people, they have a, a, a very hard time with this. I've seen it over and over again with the say, Paola, my intellect has taken me this far and I still don't know what else. I feel like I'm going to die here. Like, I don't know how to navigate uncertainty. So stage two, it's a beautiful state of consciousness. And life is so mysterious and so magical and sometimes hard to understand, especially when tragedy happens or when your body says you know what i can't do this anymore and then you have a bad um you know result from a test that you get from a doctor or you've loved this person for 20 years and one day that person says honey i'm sorry but i'm going to continue on my own our season is over when things like that happen and you stand there and you say whoa what else like i thought i was doing the right thing now we have an opportunity to keep expanding. Here's when we start going into stage three. So how do I go in from stage two to stage three? There are infinite ways and the way that Reverend Michael teaches is we let go of control, as hard as it sounds. We let go, we slowly start yielding. We slowly start trusting that there is something out there that you might not name it anything. Some people may call it God or spirit or intelligence, energy. So there's something that you can yield, that you can trust. And that it's okay. And, you know, I know that it's only my voice that is coming through it. But right now I am closing my fist and instead of having your fist closed, that you can open your hands and say, okay, I don't know, show me. Universe, something, just show me what you got. And Michael Bernard Beck with my teacher says, when you arrive in a space of I don't know, you're in a space of power. Because when you don't know, you can open yourself up to the possibilities. Roosevelt said, the man that knows it all cannot learn anything. So we have that opportunity to say, I don't know, so let me see a little deeper. Let me know a little deeper. And so we start letting go of control. We start yielding. We start uh, trusting. And then surrender comes. And so you surrender. You go into your meditation. You, instead of answering that text that you just want to answer right away, you say, let me just take a deep breath <laughs> and let me listen. So here's when you start listening to that, to that quiet, wise voice inside of yourself. So this is stage two going into stage three. I don't know if there is any comments or any questions that you guys may have.
no, this is is, is beautiful, and to, and to have you kind of share in this much detail is kind of peeling the onion even further for me, which is wonderful. I hope I hope I hope listeners are tracking with us because this is this is pretty spectacular. Mm, thank you. So take a deep breath in. Now let it go. So that's surrendering. It's like letting go of the breath. Imagine if you only inhale or if you only exhale, you're stopping the cycle. And so one thing that happens in stage two, and I know this very well for myself because I love doing, I love taking charge. I love controlling. <laughs> I'm going to reset. I used to. <laughs> and I'm transitioning into a new me. But still, it's so human to want to be in that stage that um, you become the giver, the giver that doesn't know how to receive. And achievers, we love that. We love to be the ones doing it, making it happen, giving it. And so when we forget to receive, we stop the cycle, and that's when the body starts reacting. I don't know who said it, but someone said when you're not processing it or when you're not speaking it with your mouth, your body will scream it to you. Sometimes we're so busy, busy, busy doing uh, that we have this beautiful intelligence in our body. The body says, stop it. I'm going to start aching right now so that you listen. And so we start listening. Hopefully we listen to that inner voice and we stop, we pause. Stage two, and this is the last thing I'm going to say and then going into stage three. Stage two has a very masculine energy. And masculine energy, I don't mean men. I don't mean gender. I mean linear. It has linearity. It has structure. It's very, it's very clear and clean it's a beautiful energy is the yang of the yin now when we go and start surrendering and trusting then we start going into a more feminine energy which also doesn't mean women it doesn't mean you know female it means a receptive energy it means an energy that pauses and waits to receive so when we start trusting, we arrive into stage three, which is called channel consciousness. And in channel consciousness, it's not happening to me. It's not happening by me. It's happening through me. You start understanding that you're a channel, that you're a vessel, and that it is very important to keep that vessel clean, available. That's why in the first stage, we talk so much about forgiveness because Resentment pollutes so much that capacity to listen to our highest self. Resentment, animosity, control also. When we're highly controlling, it's, it's hard to listen. What is my highest self? What is that wise aspect of me telling me? We cannot differentiate. And I just want to say it very quickly. I learned it once that I think I learned this. No, I know I learned this from A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles says the ego speaks first and loudest. The ego, that controlling aspect of ourselves, the survival aspect, the analytical mind, speaks first and loudest, has lost to tell you. So if you're ever wondering who's speaking, my inner voice, my intuition, or my highest self, or, or my analytical mind, know the intuition is a very elegant voice. It will tell you something and wait for you to listen. It won't insist. It won't bug you. It won't, you know, torment you at 3 a.m. in the morning with lots and lots of stories. 
will just tell you very quietly, very elegantly, this is the way. Might not be comfortable, but this is the way and you know it. So in stage three, we're channeling our highest self. We don't even have to talk about something outside of ourselves. It's right there in the center of our beingness, always in pure equanimity and stillness, just waiting for us to say, yes, I want to listen. So it's happening through you. And those of, of you that are listening and are really good at what you do at work or really good at being a parent, you know, we all have that zone of genius. I think Gay Hendricks talks about this in the big leap. That zone of genius, we are probably in stage three. We have mastered our craft so much that we don't have to try so hard. It just comes to us. Remember that stage three, it's a receiving energy. You let it happen through you. You receive the answer and you say yes. So stage three happening through me and the channel to receive the information from my highest self. Now, when we use the words through me, we're still implying that there's might be two aspects or more than one aspect of the self. The highest self with the capital S and the, and the little self for the little S or the ego. But there is a deeper state of consciousness. And people usually get here by mastering listening. You listen, you listen, you listen so much, and then you start getting revelations of the nature of our beingness. Here's where we start getting very metaphysical, very spiritual. I mean, everything is spiritual, but end. This is when we start having a very deep conversation. And so we start arriving into stage four. But I just want to pause for a moment again and just making sure that we're good. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very much. Okay. Good this is start. great. So good. Okay. So we take another deep breath in. Beautiful. Now, stage three. It's a great, it's a great segue into the truth of who we are. And so when we start listening and we start getting revelations of the true nature of ourselves, <clears throat> something really beautiful and magical happens and there is a dissolution. There is a dissolving of the of, sense of self. Now, People may get there by meditating. Some people might engage into uh, breath work, which is amazing too. Breath work I heard the other day, and, and I'm not going to get too much into it. Another day we can talk about it, but breath work, when you breathe in a same pattern, they say that your lungs create DMT, which is the spiritual um, molecule, they call it like that. And, and so... We start getting into those deep stages of consciousness. So when we arrive into stage four, we first let go of that sense of self. We let go of the sense of separation. Some people may go there in meditation. Some people may go there when they're in nature. Michael and I, we were talking about surfing before we started this conversation and a lot of surfers will tell you, you know, once I'm in the water, it's almost like it's only one thing happening there. I'm one with the ocean. 
It's what they call being in the zone. And when we did our training, I mentioned the movie Soul by Pixar. And they talk about that stage when you start dissolving the sense of self and you become one with your art. So we arrive into stage four, which is called being consciousness. And being consciousness is when it's happening as me. There is no other. And that's what a Buddhist teacher answer to his student who asked, teacher, how should I treat others? I'm struggling here. I don't know how I should treat others. And the teacher said, there are no others. And from that space, that's how you treat others. It's when you realize there's only one of us here. And again, this is very deep. And I am putting words into this stage, but this stage has no words to, do this, to describe it. It's formless, it's nameless, and I love when we have an experience of it so that we can look into each other's eyes and say, uh-huh, I get it. People that go into uh, near-death experiences, a lot of them will come back and describe some of that feeling tone of being in oneness. When people have the birth of their child, of their children or the first child, and they see, you know, they take their baby in their hands and they become love. I watched a movie the other day and said, when I had you in my hands for the first time, I didn't feel love. I became love. Mm. It's, it's that moment when you're like, oh, there's only one thing happening here. The sacred book, the Bible says, it describes as of, as the I am that I am. Is that story where Moses gets in front of the bush, the burning bush, and he's sent to do this big mission. And he goes, well, who am I to be doing this? And it says, say, I am that I am. Just go tell them I am that I am. So in a metaphysical way, when we understand that phrase, is when you know that within you, there is the I am presence. And again, these words that I'm telling, I hope that you're catching them with your heart because intellectually, it's sometimes it's hard to grasp. And it is, it's more of an experience than a thing that you can do. And the more you yield into the presence of the one mind, of the one energy, the more you'll be able to get in there. Now, I want to tell you, I go there for microseconds. Perhaps there might be other, you know, modalities like some people would do plant medicine or breath work that you might be there for a little bit longer. But you can, you have, we all have access to that um, in any time. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, blissful state of being. And perhaps that's where we go back to when we transition back to eternity. I don't know, but I like to think that that's going to be it. <laughs> And so those are the four stages of consciousness. Again, I want to say they're not linear. You might be in all four stages throughout the day. You know, you might be vacillating through the four stages. They're not for you to judge yourself, to be in a competition. No, I have to be in stage four. I use them as a way of having awareness, self-awareness. When I'm feeling heavy and I just go within and I ask myself, what is this going on? Oh, I'm entertaining a blame story right here. I'm in victim story. Or sometimes when I start getting those aches and pain that my body is so good to bring to me, I go, oh, I've been doing, 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 doing. I, I haven't stopped. And, and sometimes when I'm in that stage three 
and I go, oh my God, I just feel the presence so much. So, and I may close my eyes and in one breath, I'm right there, one. It's just for self-awareness and they're all beautiful stages and they all have gifts to give us, especially stage one and stage two. They teach us so much. They're the greatest teachers. Yeah. All of that was so beautiful and clear and I'm so grateful. And one of the things that really... That, that I was thinking about in anticipation of talking to you today is how practical this is in truth. One of the books that we've referred to a lot in our work, you mentioned Gay Hendricks, um, and he's referred to quite extensively, as is Michael Bernard Beckwith in The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, A Paradigm for Sustainable Success by Jim Defmer, Dan Chapman, and Kelly Warner Klemp. Now, this is a book that is very, I think, well-regarded in Silicon Valley and tech and a lot of the corporate world and the business world, startup world, and where people have spent a lot of time thinking about, how do I ultimately perform? I mean, it's sort of the point that I made at the very beginning about this idea that if you're not really concerned about wellness, you're not really concerned about performance or success. And one of the things that they talk about quite extensively in this book is exactly what you just presented on in your version of the masterclass presentation, you know, they summarize it in a few chapters, but it really is. I mean, it's like, this isn't some impractical, ethereal, kind of inaccessible, kind of esoteric idea of spiritual growth. I mean, it's so practical about how do you, how do you live in a way that is in balance, in, in, in congruity? How do you work with others? I mean, I just think about it in my own life, like where I've been in a victim consciousness, I'm defensive. You know, I'm in this reactive mode. I'm not a great collaborator. I'm not a great leader. I don't have that magnetism that you talked about. It's more, if it's magnetism, it's more of a repelling magnetism. And, and I just think that there's so much that we touch in coaching that has to do on such a fundamental level with what you presented, which is helping people get out of that victim consciousness and then kind of move in varying degrees into these different stages of what I think are stages two, three, and four, just much more in balance and, and much more enjoyable, to, again, to varying degrees. But I think that that idea that you know, peace and power and, and sustainable genius and being your own genius is so critical to people who want to make a difference in the world. And we talk a lot about change makers, and I don't know a single change maker who can last over time that isn't applying these principles that you just presented. Correct. Yes. Yes. They are very applicable. And, and the other day I did this presentation to a group of entrepreneurs and they were debating that, like, oh, I'd love to be in stage three or four, but you know, how do I how do I bring this to a meeting where, you know, an employee might not be, you know, performing in the way that, that I'm expecting. And so one of the things that we also discussed about is that we're in this world. We're not denying that we're in this 3D experience where there are rules and there are guidelines and there are all of this uh, expectation, especially in corporations and, and organizations. And how do I navigate this world knowing that I'm in it, but not from it, from something more expensive, more limitless. So how it's it's like the the analogy of the cross, the Christ. You have 
the vertical one and the horizontal one, one representing, you know, heaven, quote unquote, and the other one representing our experience here on the earth. And then in the middle, there's an intersection and we find our hearts, you know, how to, how to lead from the heart. And, and it's not that you become, you know, this person just meditating all day long and forgetting about your responsibilities or the other side, which we're very used to, which is doing, 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 controlling all the time. How do I merge both in my heart and engage in that beautiful quality of discernment? Yes, we need to have this conversation that is difficult and I know the truth. So let's have, let's have this conversation in the middle where we honor our humanity, and we also honor what we really are, which is one beautiful energy of love. Beautiful. I'm so moved by what you presented, and there's so much beauty and richness in that, that I feel like our listeners will not only listen to this one time, but my guess is they'll have this episode on repeat in an effort to absorb more and more of what you said. And I could ask you questions about how do you apply all these things, but I think that it's probably most useful just to take it in and sit with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. What a blessing. I mean, really, it's been amazing. Yeah, I'm so grateful, Paola. And, and just you're, you have such a clear and deep understanding of these principles that I've heard people kind of recount ideas or teachings or kind of spiritual insights that may not embody them in the same way that you do. And it's so clear and so grounded. And I think that really helps make it accessible. And, and one of the, the cornerstones of our work at A-Plan, as you know, is really trying to make these ideas and these tools accessible. Tools of wellness, tools of performance, ideas of expanded consciousness and in all of its forms to make it accessible. Because I think that to me is how things change. I think that's, these are the tools that I know personally have made a big difference in my life and have helped me be a much better version of myself, a much better father, a much better husband, a much better son, a much better collaborator and partner in all the ways that I am. And, and I just think that to me is the gift I want to give back. It's the gift that I want to share. It's the, it's the purpose of a plan and it's the purpose of, of our work and it's the purpose of my, my work and what I care about. So this was just such a gift to, certainly to me, I'm sure as soon as you would agree. And, and listeners, I just, I just, I'm, I hope you, I hope you stayed with us through this because I think there's a lot uh, of value in everything that Paola has said and everything that Paola is. So with that, Paola, just thank you so much for what mm -hmm. you've given us today and what you've shared. And, and it's a real pleasure to be with you as always. Thank you so much, guys. This was so much fun. So much fun. Thank you for offering this space uh, to remember together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for All You Need is a Plan. If you'd like to learn more about what A-Plan Coaching can do for your team or organization, check out our website, aplancoaching.com, connect with us on social media, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.